everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That is true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Got a conference coming up this September. September, here, you know what? I will give you the date. I will give you the dates. It's September 20th it starts. So yeah, I think there's still slots available. So go check it out at pnwa.org. Hey, had a great conversation. Interesting conversation with Thunmeet. Sethi, who is an, an MD here in Washington, Seattle, Washington, but she's written a book called Joy is My Justice, and um, we just kept covered a lot. We covered her unusual upbringing in the South, kind of being of in, being Indian, and what that was like, and how it led to her wanting to be a doctor. Anyway, very interesting woman, cool conversation, t- touching on medicine and writing and social justice, a lot of good stuff. Uh, Thun meet Sethi. She's a board MD, technically, and a board certified integrative family physician, clinical associate professor at the University of Washington, author, as I said, of Joy Is My Justice, Reclaim Yours Now, activist and TEDx speaker, who is a dedicated, who, or excuse me, has dedicated her career to care for the most marginalized patients in Seattle's refugee, uninsured and homeless populations, as well as global communities traumatized by man-made and natural disasters as senior faculty for the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. Yeah, mind-body, we talked about that, talked about a lot of stuff. Uh, Very cool conversation, very cool woman, and I'm glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. Okay, look who we've got. Brand new book author, Tan meet Sethi. Tan meet, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great, Bill. I'm really excited for this. Well, I'm glad to have you on. I uh medicine's been on my mind for all the wrong reasons lately, but all is well. All is well. <laughs> um you are an MD and have been for you've been practicing for 25 years, give or yes. well, not, not take, but 25 and then some, probably in counting, let's say. Yeah. Yep, and this was a decision you made pretty early in your life, uh, which I suspect I don't know. You probably met a few doctors. Is that normal for doctors to know pretty early on? Yeah, you know, um, I wasn't sure myself. I took a couple of years off actually to figure it out, but I knew oh, okay. I wanted to work with people in a really deep, profound way and impact uh, social justice and equity issues in a way that I could have some power to do so and. It really all came together in medicine, so it's been the right choice for me. Now, medicine—if if, if the desire is social justice and equity—I would not think medicine would be the first place to go. It's usually the law, or politics, or you know, social organizing in some way. But you saw medicine as a means to right some wrongs. Uh, yes. Explain the make that connection for me. Yeah, well, if you really look at your health and anyone's health, the socio-determinant factors around that really have to do with 
your access to financial resources, sure. green spaces, safe spaces to live in, food access. Um, you know, what is the way that the constructs of your life have allowed you to access health in a deeper way? And so actually health and medicine are the gateways to understanding how our inequities in society have teamed us all up for either better or worse health. And you began your life, so you're your parents are from India, but were you born in the U.S.? Well, it doesn't really matter. You grew up in the U.S. You were a U.S. You were a child of the United States, and we and there was no getting around that. But, but you were in the deep. I don't know how deep the South, but in the South, um, yes. in the '80s, and even then, things are still a little rough down there. I think, but they were rougher still. Certainly after the Iran Contra or the Iran after the the embassy business and right. if you didn't look a certain if you looked a certain way you caught it and so this was this was a foundational experience for you it was scary yeah primarily yeah yeah I mean it's scary very and you know we grew up it's a different time now people really didn't yeah. know who we were or my my dad and my brothers wear turbans we have different clothes we cook different foods and have a different religion that nobody understood and so it was really um a, an experience of feeling othered very often and almost yeah. always let me ask you this though this is an interesting thing do you feel in there is any advantage in feeling like another is there, I mean, is there, is there, a, is there a flip side? It hadn't occurred to me just till you said it, but I would, you know, only reason I say it is I write personal essays and I always focus on the parts of my life that I would never want to relive. The parts I don't want to relive are the best stories, right? That's where the juice is. That's where the learning is. That's where the power is. And so even though it was uncomfortable and scary, do you sometimes see something that came out of it that's very positive for you, whether it's compassion, whether it's, I don't know. I'm not wanting to put any thoughts in your head. Yeah. I mean, I really agree. I think the crux of it is, can you come out of it? Right. And right. if you can, then I think that um, in my case, I can only speak for myself. My experience of othering has made me more solid and grounded in who I am, in what I believe in, what my values are. And and feeling a really deep commitment to anyone living on the margins of society because I understood that experience. So I think it's informed my career and my um, social justice activism. And I agree with you. The crux is who comes out and who doesn't, right? So it can yeah. be a formative experience or it can be um, an experience that really limits you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And for you, apparently, formative? Good. Very. Good. Um I was interested to read that when you told your parents you're interested in medicine, which is so often, you know, I've talked to so many people. I'm, you may not have guessed this. I am not an immigrant, but <laughs> I have, but uh, I have known, I've interviewed many, and and the and one commonality through the immigrant story is go be a doctor, go be a lawyer. You know, there's always like succeed, succeed, succeed. So you know, for a lot of it's just a, such a human thing. You told your parents you wouldn't be a doctor, and they were like, I don't know. I'm not sure yeah. that's a good idea. A they weren't that excited about it. <laughs> they said it was a bad business decision. And <laughs> um, they're right. I'm still paying off my loans. You are? Way. Get out. Yes. But um, they also, it was a little bit related to gender. They wanted me to get married. Ah, they thought ah, it would take too right. long. Right. So there was all these other factors, but um, I stayed committed. So yeah, I had to fight for it a little bit. 
because Indian culture can be a little conservative, I think, in, in terms of gender roles and all that stuff. It's still, I know my friends who are Indian are like, yeah, it can be a little less if you grew up in the West, for instance. So, okay. So they didn't expect they, the woman should get married and have, all right, very good. Well, too bad. Too bad you had dreams and you followed them. And so you have practiced what would be described as, I mean, it's a mixture. Obviously, you have a traditional MD degree, but you've, you've experimented in all different, or not, but you've branched out into mind-body stuff. Uh, you said psychedelic medicine. Um, and so when did that, I want to get to your book, Joy's Justice, but it was my justice. Uh, but I'm just so interested in, in this journey you've made because obviously it led to the book. Yes. Uh, there's yes. no way you didn't. And so you became interested in beyond just the purely mechanical aspect of the, the human body. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I was always, I went into med school knowing that I was interested in more than Western medicine because I grew up with Ayurvedic medicine in my household. And, and Ayurvedic um, is for our listeners who are not familiar. Yeah. It's traditional East Indian medicine. And so when I was in India at home with my family or at home here in the U.S., we would practice um, those principles and tools from Ayurvedic medicine. And I didn't quite understand them and I wanted to understand them better. And I always knew there was more than what we were taught here. And so right. I wanted to mix it. And that's what I've done. And now there's a whole field of what I do called integrative medicine. They didn't right. have that right. name when I was in med school, yeah. but um it's been really good for me because I think that what really is uh, necessary to understand in healing and in health is that using the full array of what the world's wisdom has um, given us is actually the best way to go. And sometimes always um, in acute conditions, Western medicine is quite good. That's, this is what I've always said. Like if I break a bone, if I've got a piece of metal lodged in me, the West is great. They're brilliant at like taking care of it. But yeah, or like a, a sudden heart attack. Yes. I mean, it's wonderful. But if it's chronic, if you look at chronic disease, yes. hypertension, diabetes, yeah. Yeah. Um, all kinds of chronic pain and, and depression, anxiety, Western medicine on its own is lacking woefully. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. And I'm sorry to all of you out there. If you've gone that route, that's fine. That's fine. But yeah, I have yeah. not, I have not <laughs> no, because I people feel very strongly about like I had a son on the spectrum. I did not use any medication. I but there were people who felt really strongly about using medication for that. It was I didn't even consider it. My wife and I didn't, but that's where we that's how we roll. Um so all right, so you have approached it integrated. Good for you. We need more of you. There's a lot more than there were 30 years ago, but I'm yeah. so glad uh that you see the human being as a multi-dimensional not just a machine that needs oil and a screw um and so but okay so but your you know it's interesting i was when i was reading your book and getting ready for this interview i thought about something i'm curious on your take on this because you described your childhood as a is it fraught in certain ways because of your of your of your background and the way you looked compared to other people all that and there were some things that there were some experience with the fbi and with some violent people where it could have gone quite sideways. Yeah. My wife got very interested in this. I think it was a kind of a website where they were talking about pain because she's had to deal with some medical stuff. And they were just talking about pain. It was a very interesting philosophy around pain. And they said, I got to say, I agree that pain is all related to the concept of safety. That if you, it's, that it is an expression of a lack of safety. I know that, you know, you hit me with a hammer 
I used to say to people, this is interesting, and, and then I promise I'm going to turn this back over to you. When I was a kid, I wanted to play. Playing was fun, 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 but I would like to play sports. And sometimes people would fall down hard. And the joke about me is I would say to them, wait, are you really in pain? In other words, yes, you fell, but that doesn't actually mean you're in pain. But sometimes the act of falling makes you think you're in pain before you're actually in pain. Like you're mm -hmm. afraid mm -hmm. for yourself. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? So I would, does that, so does the concept of relating safety, and this comes to joy, I think, safety and pain being related, does that make sense to you in your work that you've done? Yes. I mean, you know, there is, there, there are, I think pain is complex, Bill. Let's just say that. Yeah, I don't think I can say that, that it's only safety. I think there's so many factors. And you might remember in my book, I talk about how I had a lot of pain from a chronic condition. And the surgeon who, who treated me actually said after he went into my abdomen said, you should be in a lot more pain. Oh, interesting. Because what, right, what right. he found was so, uh, you know, intense. It was so pathologic. And I said, yeah, well, pain is complex. I have social structure support. I have ways of coping. I have friends. I have community. I'm not in, I'm not homeless. You know, so right. there's a lot of, again, back to the sociodeterminant factors of health, pain is similar. And our nervous system is primed to think, am I safe or not safe? And if I don't feel safe, I'm on more alert and actually, the pain fibers in our nerve endings are more sensitive. I totally, yeah. I I just think we, if you can't, if you don't feel safe, your mind shuts down in a lot of ways. It just you don't, you know. I remember my wife was having to make some choices, and I was like about what to do and who to see and all this. And I was like, we have to make the choice, but we can't be panicked when we make it. Like mm -hmm. we know I, it's fine whether we do or don't do, but we can't be. A, we can't make it from fear. We, we won't ever like the choice we make if it's made from fear. And even though we it seems like a scary time, we have to first get calm on some level so that we can make the right choice. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I was just listening to someone who works only around uncertainty and people who are able to manage it well and those who aren't. Yeah. And she was saying that the data really shows that if you can come at it from a place of hope versus fear, totally. that you're able to navigate uncertainty better. You know why? So this is I my you can see why well, viewers at home can't. But fearless writing was one of the, one of the books I wrote, and one of the the aspects of fear is is we're always moving, but fear is movement away from love is movement towards something. Hope is love. They're they're connected, and so if it's hopeful, you're moving towards the thing you want, whereas fear is just moving away, and it's kind of random where you end up because you're just like I don't want to be there. I'll go anywhere but there, but you'll end up somewhere. And but you're moving, but you are moving, right? Yeah, yeah. So fear and um and I talk a lot about the nervous system and safety because you're right, it does relate to joy. Is that if we cannot feel safe in a moment, then we are unlikely to have our threat centers in our brain dampened and we stay on high alert. We yeah. stay in that mode of looking for the problem instead of looking for the possibility. Yes, yes, I like it. I like it. Oh, so. Joy is my justice. Uh, look, busy person, got a lot to do. Do you want to write a book? Why would you do that? I mean, I know why I do it, but I mean, I know that you're a teacher. Also, you know, whether you see yourself, at core, you're a teacher, I think. I think all doctors should be teachers. You see yourself that way, but you do, it's clear. Um, was that part of the motivation? What was the desire? Why, why write the book first? 
Yeah. You know, I mean, it felt, I don't know if this was for you in writing books, but I felt like I had to write it. I didn't even feel like I had a choice. Yeah. Like this was something, a message that I felt I needed to get out in the world. And on top of that, Bill, I had people, person after person asking me, how do you manage your suffering? And how do you- Your personal suffering? Yes, my personal suffering. suffering. Okay. And, um, you know, and I also work globally with trauma in after- huge, huge disasters and really worked with people at a deep level in terms of how do you find hope again? How do you find joy? And it all was coalescing my personal and professional life. And I really felt like this was a message I had not heard. I had felt like I only heard about how to be happy and happiness felt like something that isn't attainable when the constructs of your life are not happy. And, you know, I have a construct with my son, those who don't know that I have a child with a fatal illness. It is not happy ever, but it is deeply joyful now. And there is a difference. And I felt like this is something we need to talk about because the mental health conversation itself feels harmful to me, because if we don't differentiate that, then anyone who can't feel happy feels broken. Broken. Yes. And happiness. So, but let's, I want to back up, define, if you would, the difference between happy and joyful. They yeah. could, they're not synonymous, but boy, there seems like there'd be a lot of overlap, but you're drawing a clear distinction. There is still overlap. I agree. They're both pleasant states of being that we want as much as possible. Let me, don't get me wrong. Right. But happiness is a cognitive construct. It's a logical evaluation about whether we have what we need, whether we got what we wanted, you know, and none of that is bad, but happiness is a cognitive experience, whereas joy is deeply embodied. It comes from the same deep well as our pain. It actually sits right next to our pain. Both of them are linked to our capacity for meaning, connection, belonging, love. And it, it is the reason why you can grieve someone deeply and in the same moment, laugh or chuckle to yourself about something they did that you loved or that they irritated you about. And so really finding that sense of how if we open to our pain, we also open to our joy. The way that I like to describe it to people is if you just escape your pain, if you numb to your pain fully, then you numb to everything. It is not possible to find the joy either. So we must be open to all of it to live that full continuum. Yeah, I mean, from what you're, the definition from what I'm hearing from your definition is happiness is essentially conditional. Yes. Right. And joy is unconditional. It is unconditional and accessible by all of us. When I received my son's diagnosis, I thought there is no way I'm going to be happy slash joyful again, because that's like a death sentence in itself. I got to say that, that thought, and I'm really, I'll go to the mat on this is a death sentence because there's not a one moment in your life that you don't want to have the potential for joy. You may not yeah. feel it, but if it, if someone said it's over, that I, I think it's a suicidal thought, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And what I realize now that I didn't realize then in that moment was that I was possibly happier before that moment, even through bouts of depression, et cetera. But I was never as joyful because my sense of well-being was always attached to how things were going. Of course. 
Yeah, yeah. And now they are not attached to that at all. They yeah. are attached to my capacity for living fully in this moment, for accepting my life and still finding hope and love and compassion for myself when I don't. And it seems important for the medical community because in a way, medicine is an attempt. I mean, I say Western medicine is an attempt to control a condition. Condi I mean, you actually will have a condition, but like make me feel better make this better, which I totally understand, but there is a, but you can get one of the reasons I don't like swimming in medical waters is because it's all conditional. And I, and I have been, and as a writer, as a published writer, we can live conditionally. Will you get published? Won't they get published? Well, the reviews may sound trivial, but it is not. You can, your whole life can end on the review. Your whole life can end because the book contract doesn't come. It can seem that way. Mm -hmm. And the more conditional I am, the more miserable I am. And the less conditional I am, the lighter I am, the more creative I am, the joy, more joyful I am. So I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, in our medical training, you're right. We're trained to find the diagnosis, yeah, to yeah. label the problem. Yeah. And the sort of continuum of leaving things open feels like a failure. And right. um, in fact, uh, there was a moment in this journey where I had some very concerning neurologic symptoms, which turn out to for yourself, be yourself. Yes. Yeah. And um, I had, I don't talk, I talk about it a little bit in the book, but I didn't talk about this story, which is that a neurologist that I used to work with who trained me, um, you know, I went to go see her because these were really concerning symptoms and they had to do an MRI on my head and neck. And they were, she was pretty sure something was wrong. And when everything came back normal, she actually, when I went to see her, apologized and said, Thanmeet, I'm so sorry. I cannot figure out what this is. And I looked at her and I said, I am so happy you can't figure it out. <laughs> and she looked at me like puzzled, you know, and I said, if you can label it, then all the possibilities are done. Right. right now, I can live in the possibility of finding a different way to go about this. You yeah. know, I don't want the label. And yeah. she was just amazed because I was also one of her pupils. And so she was amazed. But I really agree with you. There's a conditionality to medicine that doesn't allow the mystery of the body to be present. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've had pain last years and then end when I changed my mind on something, I mean, it was significant. <laughs> and I, and that, when that happened a bunch of years ago, I was like, okay, I know it's not always going to go that way, but I know it can go that and it changed my relationship to what pain was because pain. And I work with my clients around writing because there's the emotional pain that can come from writing and it can be pretty intense, especially if once you want people to read and like your stuff, it just becomes this social minefield. But I tell my students, and I know that I suspect you feel the same way, which is pain and the emotional pain I'm talking about is information. Fear is information. The pain is information. And you either use it, and if you can treat it as information, it doesn't last long. It's, I'm talking about in writing. This is the creative pain we can go through. But if you don't understand it as information, it usually gets worse. It usually accelerates. You know, just like if you stub your toe, that's inform it's, you know, information. Yeah, I like that. Does that I make like sense? That. Yeah. And I think it also, it can be information and also a tool, right? I mean, I don't know if this is the emotional pain you're talking about, but I'll tell you, writing this book was, <laughs> was a serious test in self-compassion, you know, oh, I yeah. mean, you know, uh, one day I'm writing and I think I'm going to be on Oprah and the next day I'm writing and I think <laughs> who gave me a contract? Why are we even doing this? Uh, welcome so, to our world. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that, you know, um, if you can see that as 
a way, a tool. I found it every day as a tool for me to use to practice self-compassion. Yeah. Oh, self-compassion. You you absolutely have to be so kind because I always say you have you have a choice. You can listen to the inner critic or the inner artist. Your inner artist just wants it to be awesome, and they don't, they're never going to criticize you. The inner critic is just afraid that other people won't like it, and it's just on and on. Well, good for you. So, and actually, interestingly, uh, your work part of one of the quivers in your healing, or one of the arrows in your qu- healing quiver, I should say, is writing. That you will that you use writing with some, whether in workshops or clients. And you have found that that is, I know for myself it's true, but talk about that. Just We're not talking about professional writing, although it could become that too. You're talking about more like journaling, but talk about that if you would. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of data on this as well, but what happens is it allows us to connect our right and left brain, not stay so cognitive and analytical about what's happening for us. It allows us to put things on paper and see it in a different light. And so um, for me, writing has always been healing. Um, And I used, I've, I've dabbled on and off with journaling. I I can't even say I'm a journaler anymore. I really don't do that anymore. Uh But I do write about things to find a way through things. So I don't write to find an answer. I just write to find out more about what I'm feeling. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, I think, I mean, I've written every day for, you know, this is what I do. And I, boy, I, how I feel after day, after my writing session is how I always want to feel. That is, that's that is, that's is, and well, and I was, when I'm, when it's really cooking, that's as good as life gets. That's it. Now it doesn't mean you can't have it elsewhere. And I do, but that's as good as it gets. That's that's your flow. flow. That's the flow. And that's as good as life gets. Like it's not going to, and you can have that anytime, anywhere. Circumstances can make it hard, but it's always available. I always, you know, I think it's like, well, hear what's here. Hear me out on this. See what you think. Conditions to me are like the surface you stand on. It is easy to to find my balance here on this floor. Very hard on a tightrope. I would fall, but someone knows how to do it. It can be done. You can cross a tightrope. Most of us would fall, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. You can find peace in the middle of warfare. You can feel prosperous living on the street. It's possible, but it requires tremendous. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it's, it's easier to live in a mansion and feel prosperous, but you can blow your brains out in a mansion also. It doesn't mean it doesn't secure anything if that makes right. sense right, right right i agree i agree and so writing has helped you process some of this and you've worked with your with some clients on you've seen actually some pretty impressive transformation around that oh yeah i mean really um when we use writing really intentionally as well, you've seen in the book, the exercises I've done with people where they dialogue with parts yeah. issues or pain yeah. that they're having what we find is that we form a new relationship with it. You know, even, um, you know, patients will say when they're stuck in their pain, since we've talked about pain a lot, um, sometimes I'll ask them to do that exercise and they'll think it's kind of hokey at first, right? Yeah, but what yeah. they find always after is that they have found that they are in different relationship with it and really most importantly, in relationship with it right. instead of it being them fully. Yeah. You know, they find that there's actually some separation. And so when you can make your issues and your life characters, it really helps, you know, and you can really find a new insight and perspective that is in you already, but you're not seeing it because you're stuck in the narrow lens of your suffering. 
Yeah, one of the great parts of writing about your own life, and you do that, I mean, this book is self-help at its core, but like so many writers of this, we'll call it genre, um, you have to tell your own story is integral to it. And I write about myself to the exclusion of all other subjects, but I should say that I don't write about myself. I write about stuff I've gone through. And I always see myself, the guy named Bill, as a character when I write about him you know, essentially, even though it's something I went through, it might be something I went through a couple of days ago, if it's going to be transformative, and if it's going to be of use to somebody else, I don't want them to think of it as my story. I want them to think of it as their story. And to do that, I have to see, I have to, I can't see my pain and my unhappiness at that time, the same way I saw it while it was happening. Does that make sense? In other words, I never want to go through the things I was going through, but I can't, I have to view them positive in a way is teaching me something while it was happening so i have to have a different perspective and i assume you went through some of that yourself in telling your story yeah you know i mean although i will say in the writing of some of those parts of my story it it was it was emotional you know i i do feel that um it was healing though it was emotional in a good way in the end and uh, I don't know if you've had this experience, but when I narrated the audiobook, that was the first time that I had read it from beginning to end without, you know, just sort of in its right. entirety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was a experience. It was really beautiful for me. I mean, there were times where I'd have to stop, you know, sure. have tearing up. And actually, yeah. my producer on the other side of the headset would, I would say, just give me a second. I'm just, you uh-huh. know, need to breathe. And she'd say, I don't know how you're doing this. I'm crying over here. <laughs> and so, um, you know, Good. it was one of those uh, experiences, though, where I think what you're saying is you needed some psychological distance from your story. Okay. Well, yes and no. Okay. I have to feel it completely, but I would say I can't agree with my character. In other words, okay. the character saying, okay. this is the worst thing. I can't agree with that because I want the thing to happen. Yes. I want yes. the distance that you would say, if I'm going to paint a picture or I want to paint a, a, a still life, I can't have the still life right in front of me. I do have to. Yes. It, but I want to feel it, but not agree with the character, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and maybe tell me if this is for you too, but I feel like I, you have to be at a point where I'm at this point, right? When I wrote the book that I'm grateful and and good with what happened because it has made me who I am. And so that kind of distance is necessary to give the story its full sort of value, right? Absolutely. Until I'm grateful for it, I can't tell it. And I'll know sometimes I'll start telling it. I'm like, "Mm, I still wish she hadn't done that. And I'm like, okay, I can't, (laughs) that's not going to work. It's like, I can't do, but for the most part, I've gotten pretty good. Like to the, cause I am always looking for something to write about. I'll be having a really rough experience. And the back of my mind is like, well, that's three essays. <laughs> we just we're like, I just had a cancer scare, and it's like, well, I'll be writing about this. There's no I love way, that, right? You know, it's just it's inevitable. If it doesn't kill me now, I'll be writing about it. So you know, so that is that's what I've. But that's because I've learned that everything rough is the source of the best material in my yes. life. It will be, but not while I'm going through it. Not while I'm going through it. You know. Yep. Yeah. So all right, and so I, but you. The I want to talk about joy one more time before I bid you adieu, because one of the challenges of this book that one of the sort of philosophical questions you had to deal with, because you look, you're in medicine, so you deal with suffering, you deal with people like like police officers or you're dealing with people at their at a, not their happiest time. Right. So you yeah. deal with people and you have gone and sought out people who are just in rough conditions anyway. So you have all that. And it's like, look is joy a luxury 
Mm. Is it a privilege or is it something that is a birthright? Is there room for it? Is there place? Yeah. For it? And you had to come down on yes, but it wasn't always an easy answer for you. I used to think it was um, only luxurious and <laughs> that it would kind of in some way deflate my social justice work to have joy because then I wouldn't be doing the fight. Right. You know, and right. where was there room for joy when people were suffering and they needed help? Right. And now what I understand, Bill, is that joy is part of the revolution, that actually every piece of oppression, trauma or suffering that we have endured has stripped us of our power and our humanity. And when we can reinstill that with some joy and moments of joy in our life, we are reinstilling the power in our body. We're reinstilling safety in our body. And so now I see joy as part of my justice work. And in fact, I would think of myself as a joy activist in many ways, because I feel like to have true liberation in our society, we need to all feel that liberation in our body and have joy come back to our lives in whatever moments of hope, love, gratitude, and compassion we can find. I totally agree. Joy, when you when you find it, it can be around, you can you can experience it for long stretches. Usually life is what it is and stuff happens and you have to find your, I always think of it as finding my balance. But I feel that when I experience it, that's the truth of who I am. You know, I just, that's really the truth of who I am and of what life is at its core. And it's it's me who lose, loses track of it. Um, I lose track of it. And when I find it, that's why I, when I'm complaining, which I really try not to do anymore, it always feels dishonest. It just is a kind of lie inherent in it, which even though I'm so upset about something, you know, <laughs> um, I don't feel really honest until I'm feeling joyful. I mean, I've yeah, been celebrating, would... but, 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 but that sense of potential and inherent okayness, that feels like the truth to me. Yeah, but that's why joy is so different for each person, right? Sure. And actually what I would say for me is that when I'm feeling angry or complaining or, um, I mean, you know, there's a difference between wallowing, I understand. But when I'm angry or frustrated or sad, I actually think that is still part of my joy practice, that I am actually owning and being authentic to how I feel and using those as messages as well, information. And if I'm upset about something in the world or something that's happened to me, it could move me to motivate to ch make change for the better if I allow it to be part of me that I don't dismiss. Yes, because I I do feel that I can't live in anger or outrage. I can't. Yeah. But I do think that I know I have become upset when I find, for me, it's because I finally recognized, like, I don't like this. And usually I have been living with it and I look up and say, I haven't liked this. Yesterday, I didn't like it the day before, but I've been enduring it and enduring it. And I've done, I've done, you know? And so that's, that's the first wake up that I am not actually content with something that I have been thinking was okay. Yes, right? yes, right? yes. And so that's the first. And then hopefully that leads me to something else. Oh, this is good. Joy is my justice. Uh, wonderful book. Good Thank for you, you writing it. I hope you write more, but I'm not done with you. Okay. I'm not done with you. And uh, I want you to put your, uh, I just want you to put your thinking hat on. I'm not sure if thinking is even the right word because I want you to be intuitive. I don't want you to think about this, but I want you to answer this question. Okay. If writing, all the writing you've done has taught you anything, it's taught you what? 
Mm. I think it's taught me that you never can know what it will give you. And what I mean is that I thought I was writing this book, honestly, for getting the message out to the world and to help people change their lives. And it has been the most deeply healing thing for myself and my family. And not just because of the material in the book, but because I've had to step, I I bet you can resonate with this, Bill, with people you work with and yourself, but I had no idea that to put my writing out into the world would not be the biggest thing would not be the vulnerability of putting my writing. It would be stepping into my biggest version of my truth and owning that in my way of coming out, of asking people for endorsements, of asking people for support, of of believing in myself to the core more than I think anyone else could. And that's a new experience for me. So if anyone out there is thinking of writing, I would say that it could be the most transformational thing you do, but maybe not for the reasons you thought. Yes. No presumptions. You don't know what it's going to give you people, but it'll give you something. Yeah. That's what it's there for. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Good luck with the book. Thank you, Bill. I've had a really good time being here with you today. Thank you. Transformational? Of course, of course. Of course it is. Oh, yeah. See? Another good conversation. I want to thank my friend R.J. Jeffries, producer. Thank you. Thank you, R.J. And to all of you out there, thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, remember when you write, it teaches you about yourself, teaches you about life. So, everything we do can teach us, particularly the things we love. So, if you thinking about what to do, always choose something that you just love to do, and then go do it. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.